When I was a kid, um, I, I'm sure you're well aware of this, I am a child of the 80s, and so growing up as a child of the 80s, we were not afforded the luxuries of today's kids. I did not have an iPad. I didn't even have a Game Boy. I later on in life had a, had a regular Nintendo. And so a lot of my childhood's days and times were spent trying to come up with creative things to do. And as a kid, my parents saw, uh, I guess, a spark of creativity in me. And so they, they always provided different um, outlets for that. And one of my favorite outlets as a kid, and this sounds completely lame, but it was a chalkboard. My parents got me a chalkboard. I think my dad's office was trying to renovate, and he took it off the wall and brought it home. But I loved it. I spent so much time drawing on this chalkboard. And then, all of a sudden, my entire world was changed whenever my parents brought home a a box of colored chalk one day. I didn't even know that existed as a kid, right? It opened up a whole other world of artistic expression for me. And so I I quickly went through, I I remember this so vividly now, even as a very old guy. But anyways, um, I remember going through this box of colored chalk really quickly and just having a blast, but then realized that I don't have any more colored chalk. And so, as, as a four-year-old, I, thought, I started thinking, I don't want to go back to the white chalk. That's boring. And then I realized, I do have something, though. So I went to our little arts and crafts station, and I picked out my crayons, right? And my dad said, hey, you know, if you draw on that chalkboard with the crayons, they won't come off like chalk. And I, I remember very clearly to this day, 36 years later, having this moment of, you know what? It's worth it. And so I, I, I said, it may not come off, but I don't care. I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to color with my crayons on my chalkboard. And I did. And I made this crazy, weird forest scene that four-year-olds draw, which at least it was a forest scene in my brain. I think probably in reality it was just a bunch of different mismatched colors. But my chalkboard was completely ruined. It wouldn't, it, it was un, is unchalkable a word? I don't know. But if it wasn't, I invented the word at that point. Because my chalkboard wouldn't work after that. There was no space for chalk. It was all colored and crayon. And, and I remember that was the first time in my life I ever had to deal with consequences. Right? I, that was the first time in my life I ever realized Wow, the decisions I make affect other things. And it stuck with me. And that kind of brings us into this series we've been talking through called How to Deal. We've talked about how to deal with dry seasons. We've talked about how to deal with failure. We've talked about how to deal with other people's success. Sometimes other people's success is harder to deal with than your own, isn't it? Seeing that person get that promotion that you wanted, right? But this week, we're talking about how to deal with consequences, okay? I I originally was going to talk about how to deal with sin, and that seems like that's kind of the purpose of church at times, right? How do we deal with sin? But I've realized that as I was doing some more studying and just going over my notes again as Sunday gets closer, that that God was saying, no, 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 it's not that I want you to, to, to focus today on how to deal with sin, because that's easy, just don't do it, right? But the, 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 
what I want you to focus on, Brad, is how to deal with the consequences of sin. And this is something that what I've loved about this, this series is that this has kind of been like the connecting point for almost all of us in life, right? Every single one of us who's ever walked on this ball of dirt and, and water called earth has dealt with failure. All of us have dealt with, at some point, some kind of success. The fact that you can walk is a proving point that you are successful. You've figured out how to be a vertical human being, okay? All of us have seen other people be successful. All of us have gone through dry seasons. I just, I love how it kind of, it's a connector between all of us. And all of us are having, learning how to deal with the consequences of sin. Like I mentioned earlier, my wife and I uh, just got back on Thursday evening from a mini, uh, just basically pre-anniversary, well-deserved, whatever you want to call it, just us trip. This is the first just us trip that we've had since Ben was born almost five years ago. I feel like we've earned it, okay? And I, can, I think my children would agree with you. But... Um, and, and we just, we took a few days and we went to Bangkok. And, and you know, the thing about Bangkok, if you've ever been to Bangkok, Bangkok is, un, unless you're, unless you're a Buddhist or a, a, a predator, the only thing there is to do in Bangkok is to eat and shop, right? And so we were so looking forward to our, we called it our four-day feast of Bangkok leading up to it. And, and we had already like, gotten on our Google map and made the little pins of where all we wanted to go and the things we wanted to eat and the places we wanted to see um, because we had gone there earlier with the kids and we saw all the really hot, spicy food that we wanted to eat that doesn't really lend itself to a four-year-old's palate. So we, we planned out this trip that well, here's what we're going to do and here's all the great things we're going to eat. And then all of a sudden, last Friday night into Saturday, Mr. Stomach Virus visited our home. And so... Um, I spent, last Saturday was my 40th birthday, and I spent the, pretty much the entirety of my 40th birthday either in bed or in the bathroom with a really yucky little stomach thing. And so, um, boy, aren't you guys glad you got to church now, right? The rain is just coming. That's one of the fun things about having glass walls in church. But this is going somewhere, I promise you, okay? Um, the stomach bug didn't decide to stay in Hong Kong. He decided to come with us to Bangkok. And so what we thought was going to be our four-day feast of Bangkok turned into, and, and, some, and somebody was asking me today, like, how was it? I have to say, it was great. It was great to have a stomach bug in Bangkok, and I'll tell you why. And, I, and the only reason is because the lovely lady in the front row of our church was with me, and we got to have the we got to have we sat in a coffee shop and for 3 straight hours had an uninterrupted conversation first time in f 8 years we've had an uninterrupted 3 hour conversation with just the two of us right that's just what this chapter of of life and parenthood is like but it was great because it, it gave us that time to just be us and 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 sometimes you just need to be reminded as a parent why you became a parent in the first place. It's because you thought that other lady that you married was really, really hot and attractive, right? But anyways, we got to spend some time together with that. But, and again, this is going somewhere. But it made us have, it may be me, it made me count the cost of am I really willing 
Do I really like this bowl of boat noodles this much? Because if I eat this bowl of really hot and spicy boat noodles now, I know what's about to happen to me a few hours or maybe half an hour from now, right? It made me count the consequences. And there was one, it was our last night in particular. Um, I have such a soft spot for Spanish food. I'm convinced that I'm part Spanish. Um, Maybe it's just the fact that I also love the concept of the siesta. Like the Spanish have just got it down, right? Like you eat a big meal and then you take a nap and that's normal. Like I love that, right? Does anybody want to go plant a church in Madrid with me? Anybody? Okay. All right. Mrs. D does. But we, we found an amazing uh, tapas place that's up on like the 53rd floor of this, this hotel. It, it faces due west. And you know, Bangkok literally is no hills. It's all flat. And so we, I, we booked a table for right at sunset so we could literally watch the sunset over Bangkok and eat, and eat tapas and, and drink sangria. And, and, I, and I knew going into it, you know what? This is pro- I'm probably going to have to pay for this later. But I just want to say, it was absolutely worth it. And I absolutely did pay for it over the next couple of days. But the point is, is that sometimes we have to learn how to deal with consequences. And I think perhaps the, the greatest lie that humanity has ever believed about this subject, about consequences... And it's the lie that Satan tries to convince us of, even, to, even right now today, is that my sin only affects me. The greatest lie that Satan has ever spoken or told humanity, and the Bible calls Satan the father of lies, right? He has the patent on lies. He invented them. Is that my sin only affects me. That's not the case at all, is it? I mean, <laughs> Mrs. D, my, my stomach virus affected our entire family on my birthday. We had to shelf all the plans they had made for me. It also affected Mrs. D later on. But, but the point is that so often my poor choices don't just affect me. They affect everyone around me. Right? I think the perfect example of this is if we go back all the way to the very first book of the Bible, I think we get to see that. The fact is, you and I, everyone listening to this sermon, is still affected by the first ever sin. Thousands and thousands, depending on your theology, depending on your science, hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever it is. A long time ago, there were the first two humans, Adam and Eve. And they, made, they, they decided to do what they wanted instead of what God wanted. That's the invention of sin. And you and I are dealing with the consequences of their sin even today. If you have your Bible, you can open it up or your Bible app. You can open it up to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be basically right there today. We're going to be in Genesis 3 and 4 pretty much all day. Okay, But, but we are dealing with and, and, and the ripples from Adam and Eve's sin, are affecting you and I even today. Like, that's how damaging the consequences of sin are. Look, at, look as we see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Okay? As we pick this up, I'll kind of catch you up to speed on the story. Uh, God created everything you see around you, some things you don't, by speaking it into existence. He's, and then He created a man and a woman 
to enjoy everything around them. And then he said, hey, you guys, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and add to the earth, right? And I don't have to get into that. You guys know what that means. Um, But he said, you can have everything you want as long as you don't touch these two trees. So, like the good humans they are, what did they do? They messed it up. Right? And so that's what we see, and, 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 and here's kind of the, the consequences God is saying of what has happened. And these are the consequences that you and I still face today. Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, says this. This is God speaking to the woman. It says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. I hear an amen from every single female listening to this sermon right now. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And then he turns to Adam. And then he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So, not only are the consequences of their sin seen in this, meaning that before sin entered the world, according to this, childbirth was easy. Right? Childbirth was painless and easy. According to this, feasting and harvesting and farming and working for a man was easy. But the the consequences of their decision to do what they wanted to instead of what God wanted them to do brought in these physical consequences to the world. And not only are the physical consequences great, right? Every single man that walks this earth struggles between the the balance of finding worth and his identity in what he does for a living versus the need to provide for his family. That's a consequence, men. And the woman, every single woman in this world, struggles with the imbalance, it will be, or the, the, the inerrant tension that comes between a marriage. We see it laid out right here, don't we? I mean, God explicitly says, here are going to be the consequences of your decision. These consequences not only are physical, but even to a greater extent are spiritual as well. The sin that entered into the world from their first decision, their first wrong choice, affects you and I today. Because we were born into sin. We were born into the lineage. Our inheritance from our mom and dad, from Adam and Eve, are that we are by nature going to choose what we want over what God wants. And so the consequences of sin affect us today. 
So how do we deal with these consequences? If all of us in this world are going to sin and if we're going to have consequences to these choices, how do you deal with it? What do we do? Do we just say, well, that's the breaks? Is that it? No, I think there's some things that we can see from Scripture that are going to help us to better deal with the consequences of sin. And the first thing when we talk about dealing with consequences, with, when, when, we, when we want to talk about um, how do you deal with this subject, number one is this, do not minimize the consequences of sin. Don't minimize them. Like, don't just say, well, you know, this affects me a little bit, right? The fact is, sin has everlasting consequences, Sin has everlasting, eternal consequences that that we cannot fix, that we cannot mend, that we cannot restore on our own. There's nothing that we can do to fix this. This is a, a consequence that is beyond our scope of repairability, folks. Eve's sin, Adam's sin, thousands of years later, affects us just as greatly as it did then. So don't try to minimize the effect of what your sin has on this world. Yeah? Don't try to to write it off and say, well, this only really affects me because nobody else is in my room and I'm looking at this site. Or I'm just going to fudge this number on my taxes and it won't really affect anybody else. That's not true. I mean, Adam and Eve ate fruit. Right? Adam and Eve ate fruit, and we're dealing with it today. Don't try to minimize it. But also, at the same time, from the other side, you know, where I'm from, um, is not the metropolitan, believe it or not, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas in America, is not the same metropolitan scope that Hong Kong is. And so I grew up in the country. My grandparents had a farm. If you go to Goshen, Arkansas, people can still tell you where the Dutton Farm was, okay? Because there's not many other landmarks in Goshen, Arkansas, other than the gas station, okay? There's the gas station, the community center, and the Dutton Farm. That was about it, okay? But growing up in the country, not all the roads were paved. Some were made of gravel, some were made of dirt. Well, what... What the engineering department did whenever they would build these roads in order to keep them from flooding, they would dig ditches on either side of the road, right? So you have the road here, and then literally at the edge of the road, there's a big drop-off to catch all the runoff water when it would rain, like it is today, right? And so what you tried to do driving on these country roads, riding your bike on these country roads, whatever it was, you tried to stay out of the ditches, right? And so one of the ditches in order for you to deal with the consequences of sin is to not minimize the sin, not to minimize the consequences of what have happened. The other ditch is not don't make an idol out of the consequences of your sin. And that may sound weird, and I want to try to explain that to you. Don't idolize the consequences of your sin. So often we think of an idol as something we worship, right? 
You think of maybe an idol as something that somebody in your family has in their house and it has a red light bulb and you offer it oranges and pears a couple times a year with incense. Maybe you think of an idol as a great statue that other religions worship. I, mean, I, I want to redefine idol for you, okay? An idol is anything in your life <laughs> that you think is too great for God to handle. Let me say that again. An idol in your life is anything in your life that you think is too great for God to overcome or restore. Anything that you have done in your life that you are receiving the consequences for, that you think my life is ruined because of this, Everything in my life is not going to work out the way I thought it would or God told me it would because of this. You have made an idol because you have said this consequence, this action is beyond the scope of grace. is beyond God's ability to change it and transform it. And so when we deal with consequences, we can't minimize their effect. The effect of sin in your life is great, but it is not too great for grace. Amen? It's the same way over here when we try to idolize this sin. When you say, I've made a mistake that's so bad, not even God can fix this part of my life. So, In order for you to deal with sin, you've got to stay out of ditches. In order for you to deal with the consequences of your sin, you can't minimize it, but you can't idolize it as well. Doesn't that preach good? Boy, that preaches good. I was so proud of myself when I came up with that. All right. There is no sin that is out of reach of God's grace. There is no consequence in your life that is out of reach of grace. God did not turn his back on Adam and Eve. And he won't turn his back on you. So often we think that the story of Adam and Eve goes like this. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. And so God punished them and kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, right? That's a story a lot of us have grown up thinking, hearing, being taught, maybe reading. But I don't see that when I read Scripture through the eyes of grace. Let's look at this this passage, okay? Let's look at what happened, actually. Let's look at verse 20. Let's start at verse 21 in Genesis 3. We'll start at verse 3, 21. Thank you. No, I'm sorry. Let's start at verse 22. Okay. We'll come back to 21 in a minute. But it says, then the Lord God said. So this is after he's, he, he has said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what they did. Here's what's going to happen to you. Childbirth's going to be painful. It's going to be really hard for you to work the fields. And then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us. That's a reference to the Trinity. Knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. 
So God understood what the consequences of what could happen next. See, if you remember, there were two trees in the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what Adam and Eve ate from. And then they understood that they were naked, right? They understood their shame. They understood that they had done wrong. And then, but there was another tree, and that was the tree of life. Scripture says that if you ate from this tree, you would live eternally. So what God did is that he knew that if he had left them, if he had turned his back on them, in their shame and in their guilt and in their tendency to sin, Adam and Eve, who understood that they were evil, understood that they had wrecked their relationship with God, would eat from the tree of life, and they would live an eternal life separated from God. So, God didn't punish them by kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. He protected them and left the doorway to grace open by removing them from the Garden of Eden. There's a difference in that, isn't there? There's a difference in that theology. And here's what's interesting, too. God didn't just evict them because of their sin. It wasn't punishment. It was protection. And, and here's the interesting thing. Look at verse 10. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 says this. This is when, when God came seeking Adam, seeking Eve, after they ate from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they realized that they were naked. They realized they didn't have any clothes on, so they hid, right? Look what Adam says to this. God starts calling out for Adam, and Adam replied to God. He says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. If you continue on in this week and, this, and read through this, God's first question is, who told you you were naked, right? How did you discover this? But look what happens In verse 21, this does not sound like a God who punishes. Verse 21, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. That doesn't sound like the God who punishes us because here's the thing. God saw the shame that was in Adam's life. He was ashamed because he was naked. Was God's first response to sin to, boop, kick him out of the Garden of Eden? Once Adam, re once Adam confessed that he did this, what was God's first reaction? Didn't he take away the very shame that Adam had? Didn't he remove Adam's and Eve's shame? They were ashamed that they were naked. 
So the first thing that God does is he clothes them. God wants to remove your shame. God wants to remove your name and, and clothe you in his goodness today. That doesn't sound like punishment to me. That doesn't sound like punishment. Maybe what you're perceiving in your life to be punishment from God was meant to be protection by grace. Maybe in your life, what you are perceiving as God's punishment is actually God's protection over you. Maybe there's a reason why you didn't get into that class. Maybe there's a reason why you didn't get that promotion or land that job or get that transfer. Maybe there's a reason why he broke up with you. And you don't see it and you think that God is punishing you. That this is what you're experiencing right now is the consequence for you. When it could be that this is God's protection for you. Because if God hadn't removed Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, none of us would be eligible for grace, folks. None of us. So maybe what you're perceiving to be punishment from God was meant to be protection by grace. Isn't isn't that what God showed Adam and Eve in that situation? When they were in the absolute, full-on embarrassment of their shame, God clothed them, not with animal skins, but with grace. And grace is undeserved favor. God had every right to walk away from them at that moment. But because he valued them, because he values you, he's not going to walk his way from you. He didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve, and he's not going to turn his back on you. But he did confront them in their sin, didn't he? He still called them out on their sin. And you do have to own up to your sin in this life. But here's the sneaky thing. And if you recall, the Bible says that our enemy in this world is very clever. And who's our enemy? It's not our boss, right? It's not, it's not our professor. It's not your father-in-law, okay? Your enemy in this world is Satan. And so what Satan does is he tries to take what God is doing and and take God's push of conviction, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment, and use that to keep you down in life. And that's called condemnation. So when you are confronted in this world with your sin, you need to ask yourself the question today, is the voice that I'm hearing about my sin, is it condemnation or is it conviction? And those are two completely different things. There's condemnation versus conviction. And I want to talk about condemnation first. Condemnation comes from Satan. Right? The root word is condemn. Okay? And and the, the, the tone that you hear with condemnation 
is, look what you've done. There is no way you can come back from this. Look how far off you've gotten. Look how bad you messed up. Look how much you failed. It's almost as if you can hear, like, you, you can see the finger pointing at you and you're down on the ground, right? And condemnation's job is to keep you on the ground. Its job is to kick you while you're down. And folks, that voice is not God's voice. And you do not have to listen to or acknowledge that voice in your life. There is no good that will come from that voice in your life. That is not how God operates. God does not condemn. Do not give that voice access to your heart. But that brings us to the second voice. The second voice is that of conviction. Conviction does come from God. And conviction says, look where you could be if you could overcome this. You're down. You've made some wrong choices. You've messed up. You're wounded. You're scarred. But let's look at where you could be. And folks, you listen to every single word that this voice says. Because that is the Spirit of God spurring you to be who you can be. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference in that? One tries to kick you while you're down. One wants to pick you up and dust you off. Now you tell me, according to even going back to the very first sin, who does that sound, which of those sounds more like God to you? Condemnation wants you to believe that God punished Adam and Eve. Conviction says Adam and Eve confessed their sin and God forgave them and covered their shame. What you need to do whenever condemnation comes is you just, you know, sometimes we, we live in a, we, we rent our flat in Monson, um, and and there's still times after living there for a year and a half now that we still get mail for previous tenants, right? Still, it's annoying. And so what we have to do occasionally is write return to sender on that piece of mail, give it to the guy, at, the, at our little security guy. He takes it, drops it in the, po, in, in, the, in the P.O. box, and it gets sent back to the original sender because that's not who we are, right? I am not Mrs. Lau, okay? Therefore, I don't need to open Mrs. Lau's mail. I don't need to receive or accept Mrs. Lau's mail. Or her notices from the, park, from the police that her parking ticket is still unpaid. All right? Mrs. Lau, if you're listening, please pay your parking tickets. Okay? But what we do is we write return to sender, take that piece of mail, stick it in the mailbox, and it goes back to where it came from. 
When condemnation tries to speak into your life and say, you have messed up your life, there is no way that God could use you. You take that condemnation and, on, and you write on there, return to cinder. You send that back exactly where it came from, and that's from the pits of hell. Because if you are still breathing, God is still wanting to use you. And there is nothing that you have done in this life that is out of bounds of God's redemption and grace. And I think the story of Adam and Eve is a perfect example of that. But you see what they did, don't you? Do you see as the story goes on, whenever Adam said, I, we, we ate from the fruit. At first he tries to blame his wife, right? He says, well, this lady that you made for me gave me this fruit. And then she immediately says, well, this snake that you made convinced me to eat it. Convinced me to eat it, eat it, right? But eventually they owned up to it. And eventually, they walked through the same process that I'm about to talk to you about, okay? So what are we to do whenever we are faced with and confronted with our sin? What does conviction do? Conviction points us to this process. The first one is to confess, right? That means to say, God, I have messed up. You own up to it. Own up to it, right? You're an adult enough to make the decision. You need to be an adult enough to say, I screwed up. And Lord knows my wife and my children have heard me say that a lot over 14 years or eight years or almost five years. I admit when I mess up. But God wants you to confess. The next thing is receive. And some people tend to think that Receive and repent here need to be flip-flopped, right? But I wanna, I wanna, I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to I hit on that later. The next thing after you confess that sin is you receive God's forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful to, re- to forgive us. So we receive that gift of forgiveness. Friday was my oldest son's birthday. He received lots of presents. But in order for him to get the presents, he had to hold his hands out and be given the present. Same thing with you. You can ask God to forgive you, but then you need to receive the gift of forgiveness. Hold your hands out, folks. Receive his forgiveness today. Because it's an amazing, wonderful gift. And some people think in order for us to receive God's forgiveness, we must repent. And the Bible uses that. This is not really a word we use like in a normal, everyday conversation, is it? We use weird words in church sometimes. But the word repent means to turn, literally to make a 180 turn, right? And we just don't use that word outside of the church. Right? It's not like I was talking to my friends and said, you know, I was driving my car and I realized I'd missed the exit, so I had to repent and get back on the highway. No, like, that's a churchy word. That's the only time we use it is in church, right? Your friend says, where's, this, where's the park? You say, oh, you've gone too far. You need to repent and come back a little bit. No, right? But the word repent literally means to turn. And some people in this world have subscribed to a theology that says in order for us to receive God's forgiveness, we must repent of our sin 
in order to receive it. That does not align with Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace you've been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. Right? As soon as we talk about if, if I have to repent or turn in order to receive God's forgiveness, aren't I trying to earn His forgiveness by what I'm doing? No, the fact is, when you receive something ama- as amazing as forgiveness, as amazing as grace, your first reaction is to immediately turn and go back to where you can get more of that. Where you can get more of that stuff. So that's why we put receive above repent in this church. And then once we repent, that means to turn, we return to God's calling for us. You return to what God's calling is for you. And we see that with Adam and Eve. What was Adam and Eve's calling? Genesis 1, 28. I told you we were in Genesis a lot today, didn't I? Genesis chapter 1. Verse 28, did you know Adam and Eve have had a calling in life? Look what it says. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea. God blessed them, blessings, and then he called them. God blessed them and then he called them. And even though they completely ruined God's original plan for their life, it was not beyond what their calling was. Because you think of the story. You walk through, through Genesis chapter 3 right after that, right? They make the wrong decision. They eat the wrong fruit from the wrong tree. They're naked in their shame. God, they confess their sin. God covers them, removes their shame, protects them, takes them out of the garden, The first thing you see, and that's the end of chapter 3. Look what you see at the very beginning of the next chapter. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. I got to say, I love saying that word in church sometimes. Okay, it's embarrassing, but I do. But, But they came right back to that calling. They were fruitful and multiplied. They didn't let that shame, the consequences of that sin, ruin their calling. Because they understood something that I don't know the majority of us do. They understood Romans chapter 11 verses 28 through 29 before it was even written. Before the guy who penned the letter to the Romans, grandparents, grandparents, grandparents were even born. They understood this. Look at 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 28. This is what Adam and Eve understood. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you, Gentiles. That benefits us. We're the Gentiles. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay? Yet they are still the people, they, the Israelites, the people he loves, God loves, because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what I want you to see. Watch this. For God's gifts And his call can never be, what's that word? Withdrawn. Other translations say God's calling is irrevocable. God's calling on your life is irrevocable. 
what God has called you to do, nobody can change. Not even you. You don't have a choice in it, folks. His calling in your life will never be withdrawn. In a few weeks, we're going to start a series called Will Call, talking about the will of God, talking about the call of God, right? And how um, there's, they're two totally different things. If you look at the next, next slide, it explains it a little more. But the will of God is God's plan for all of us. But the call of God is God's plan specifically for me. And we're going to see how there's an alignment in those two. So if, if, you, if you're here and you, you don't know what God's call on your life is, I plead with you in the name of Jesus this week, get on your face, ask God, what is my calling? What have you blessed me with? Because that's the important thing, isn't it? The calling, and you'll see that in this series, the calling comes as a result of God's blessing on you. So you can't boast. God called me to teach the word. God called me to explain the scriptures to people. And if my grade eight public speaking teacher knew that I do this for a living now, she would have a heart attack. She's laughing so hard. Because I was the worst student in her speech class. I gave an informative speech that was 38 seconds long as a 14-year-old. Because I was scared to death to get in front of people. But when God saved me, God anointed me, God blessed me, and now I'm doing something that I never would have... I thought that this would be worse than the death penalty whenever I was 13 and 14. To have eyes in the room on me? Uh-uh. To have people listening to what I had to say? No way. But that's what the transformation of Christ does, folks. It puts blessings in your life you didn't expect. And it takes you to places that you would never would have planned. I can guarantee you this. Adam and Eve didn't expect to be the father and the mother of all of humanity. They thought God just created me to be a gardener. But God blessed them and he called them. And as soon as they confessed, received, repented, they returned to that calling. And maybe what God is wanting you today is to return to that calling. And if you don't know what that calling for your life is, don't waste another day. Go home today. Get in the Word. Get on your face. and Cry out and say, God, what is my calling? And it's not like God's going to keep that a secret from you, right? Like, God's not that mischievous. Like, he's not a jerk. Like, he's not going to say, I know what it is, but I'm not going to tell, right? Like, what kind of God is that? God says, seek and you'll find. Ask and you'll receive. So if you don't know what your calling is, if you don't know what the call of God is on your life, buddy, let's find out. 
Let's find out because your calling specifically to you is for you to change the world in some specific way. I believe that with 100% of my heart. I think that's why God has created all of us. That's why he's created both of my kids. That's why he's created you. And the longer we live saying, I don't know what my purpose is, the longer the enemy wins. And the longer the earth stays a little bit darker. But the moment you say, God, what is my calling? And he shows you and he blesses you and then he calls you and you have enough guts to walk into that calling, the world gets brighter and God's kingdom advances. And we change the world together, right? We bring hope to the hopeless. We bring peace to war. We bring justice to injustness, right? But it all rests on how you deal with the consequences of your sin. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your calling on my life is irrevocable. There's no one in this world that can revoke, remove, or void the calling that you've placed in me. There's nobody, no one, no principality, no spirit, no created being, no nothing that can remove or void the calling you have on every single person listening to this sermon's life. Nothing. Help us to not waste our potential, though. Help us to respond to sin. Help us to respond to the consequences of our sin the right way. When we are faced with sin, God, let us only listen to the voice of conviction. And as you convict us, Lord, as you show us where we've messed up and who we can be if we can get victory over this particular thing, May we confess, may we receive that amazing gift of forgiveness. And as a reflex of receiving your forgiveness, may we repent. May we turn the opposite direction because our life was headed for destruction. But we received your forgiveness and we want to come back to the source of that forgiveness you give good gifts to your kids. And help us to quickly return to the calling you placed in us. And I pray that this week, for those of us who, who do not know or are 
cloudy about or unsure of or are scared of the calling you've, you've placed in our life. May this week be the week we cannot avoid it anymore. May we come up headfirst against the calling that you've placed for us. May it be like a wall that we cannot avoid. That we deal with this week. That you reveal to us this week. That we finally surrender to this week. You reminded me a lot this week of, of when you called me when I was 16. Thank you for that. I thank you for this calling. It is a burden at times. And it is not something I take lightly. But it is the most joy-filled thing that I have ever experienced. I thank you for this calling, God. And I pray that other people in this, this, this room would experience the joy of walking into your calling and doing exactly what it is you've created them to do. Being exactly who it is you've created for them to be. I pray that, that God, you would bless this week, that, you're, that, that just like you blessed Adam and Eve and then you called them, that, God, your blessings would rest on each person listening to this sermon's shoulders and that you'll call them to change the world. Thank you. We worship you in advance for the results of what will occur, for the ripples that will be felt around the world by the obedience of the men and women in this room. God, I just I have to believe if the, the consequences of sin that we discovered are this far-reaching, the consequences of our obedience reach even further. That generations and generations and generations of people will be blessed restored, redeemed, and transformed. Entire cities will be changed because of the obedience of each individual in this room. I, ha- I, just, I, I have to believe that as far damaging as sin is, obedience to your calling is even further reaching. Thank you. Thank you. I pray you would anoint this church this week, that as the people of this church walk out these doors as redeemed, transformed people, that we would take light into dark places. We would bring hope to the hopeless. We would bless and we would be kind, that people would know we are your children by our love for one another. that you would stamp in our hearts your irrevocable calling this week.